All right, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, reading through verse 24. Paul writes, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles uh, walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And we'll stop there. So this is just the next section uh, in Paul's uh, discussion of the worthy walk, which, as I said, pretty much takes us all the way through chapter 5, maybe chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, He closes the book, uh, he closes the letter with um, the Christian's warfare. But here we're looking at the Christian's worthy walk. And it is a walk that is born out of our union with Christ that Paul has spent the first three chapters emphasizing, if you remember uh, that little phrase, in him, in Christ, in the beloved. Um, All of those are ways of denoting our identity. We are those who are in Christ. We are those who are united to Christ by the Spirit. And as a result, this worthy walk flows out of that union. Um, I've mentioned this before. Jesus in John 15 talks about how he is the true vine. We are the branches. In ourselves, we have no life. But once we are connected to the true vine, then we are connected to the source of life, and thus our union with Christ uh, produces fruit. And that fruit is the worthy walk, as we will see here, uh, as we have been seeing, I should say, uh, the last few uh, weeks. So uh, just to look at what we saw last time, uh, we looked at verses 7 through 16, which is really connected to verses 1 through 6. You could have, you could have easily have taken those as one Uh, section, uh, but I thought it was helpful to break it up because in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4, Paul emphasizes the worthy walk as a unified walk, as a humbled walk, Uh, and then in verses 7 through 16, he also uh, expresses that within this unity in the body, there is a diversity of gifts. Uh, We've seen this in the various other places that Paul talks about spiritual gifts. He always mentions this diversity of giftedness within the unity of the body. So it is never to be understood apart from the unity in the body. Whenever you speak of the various gifts that one another that we all have, um, those gifts are always within the context of the unity of the body. And they, the gifts are, are to uh, serve the benefit and the growth of that body. So as we exercise our giftedness, the body grows. And in particular, in verses 7 through 16, 
Paul is talking about the gifting of, of Christ, uh, Christ gifting, I should say, the church with gifted men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Uh, these are the gifts that Christ, who uh, ascended, gave gifts to men. He gifts his body with these gifted men in order to uh, work and do the work of ministry to serve the church so that the rest of the body can then grow together um, in, into maturity, into the body that it was meant to be. Uh, we spent a little bit of time looking at verse 12 and the, you know, what most of our modern translations have, what I feel is a missing comma. Um, or, yeah, verse 12, uh, between uh, equipping of the saints and for the work of the ministry, I think there should be a comma there uh, that these uh, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles do the work of the ministry. They equip the saints, they do the work of the ministry, and they edify the body of Christ so that the body can then grow into this unity uh, in the faith, that the body can grow into the, the complete or perfect man, that the body can grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we can uh, no longer be tossed about uh, like a ship on the ocean, but we can be firmly rooted and grounded. And then uh, the body then grows and shows forth love to the world, right? We exercise love with one another. We exercise love toward our neighbors. And that is how the body is meant to function. So that was last time. So we have a unity of purpose and a diversity in gifts and callings. And now, as we look at verses 17 through 14, uh, Paul continues. What does this worthy walk look like? What is, it, is a, it is the walk of a new man. It is the walk that attempts to put off the old way of doing things and put on the new way that God has, as we saw in chapter 2, verse 10, that God has ordained that we walk in. Right? The good works that we are to walk in. We are saved by grace through faith unto good works that the, that the Father has ordained that we should walk in them. So this worthy walk then puts off the old and puts on the new. Uh, in fact, there's another verb in there. It puts off the old, it renews the mind, and puts on the new. Uh, it's, in a sense... Divorcing ourselves from this age, not withdrawing like, you know, into our own little conclaves, but divorcing ourselves from walking according to this age and walking now according to our new identity, which is, again, an identity that's in Christ. So Christians are called to walk worthy by walking according to the new man. That's the, the theme for this message. Christians are called to walk worthy by walking according to the new man. Um, four parts today, as I looked at the outline. Four parts. I'm being a rebel. When was the last time I did something with three parts? I don't remember now. I mean, last Sunday's sermon had six parts. My goodness, that was like double your pleasure there. All right, so we're going to first look at the principle in verse 17. So you got the principle, the reason, the contrast, and the result. So the principle, Paul states in verse 17, where he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. That's the principle. That's what Paul wants to get across in these verses here. Do not 
walk as the Gentiles. Do not walk any longer as the Gentiles, as the rest of the Gentiles. Some translations may have their, they may omit the rest of. So no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Uh, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility, in the vanity, in the uselessness of their mind. That word their mind is the word uh, noose in uh, Greek, not like the noose, like the names that you see all throughout Sutton. Uh, but and maybe it's derived from that, I have no idea. But noose in the sense of the thinking faculty of your, uh, of your person. Uh, in the Greek world, you had the mind, you had the will, you had the emotions. So you had the, the mind would represent the thinking part. Now, all of that would have been considered the heart of a person, right? Because uh, they didn't really think about your brain so much as they thought about your heart, uh, the center, the core of your being. But the mind would be the thinking part of it. So he calls us to walk worthy by not walking as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And he begins this by testifying the Lord. So he's bearing witness. That's what the word there means. He, he is beseeching. He is uh, exhorting solemnly in the Lord. In other words, he's saying, look, this is part of my calling as an apostle to the Gentiles that I exhort you thusly. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing this with the authority that the Lord has given me to proclaim this message to you. Do not walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. That's the principle. Do not walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now, again, he's using that word Gentiles in Greek. That's the word ethnos, which just means nations, other people, the nations, the Gentiles. He's not using that in the sense of a, a, uh, like, a like an ethnicity. He's not using it like he does earlier when he talks about how, like in chapter 3, verse 6, that the Gentiles should follow or should be fellow heirs of the same body. So he's not using that as, because there's Gentile Christians in this church. So he's not referring to those Gentile Christians in the church when he says, do not walk as the rest of the Gentiles. In fact, I think the New King James uh, adds that phrase there, the rest of, in order to differentiate from the Gentiles within the body of, of the Ephesian church. Don't walk like the rest of those Gentiles out there. In other words, if the church is the one new man made up of Jew and Gentile, if the church is, as Paul says in Galatians, the Israel of God, then he's like, do not walk like those who are apart from God. Do not, do not walk like those who are alienated from God, as we'll see uh, in verses 18 and 19, he mentions again that they are alienated from the life of God. So do not walk as one who is outside of Christ. That's the point Paul is making here. Do not walk like the rest of the world who is apart from Christ. You are united to him. You are built up together into a holy temple unto the Lord. You have the spirit as a down payment in you. Do not walk like those who have none of those things. Do not walk like those who are not part of the temple of God. Do not walk like those who do not have the Spirit within them. Do not walk like those who are not unified and united to Christ. Simply put, Christians are not to live, and by walking, that's what it means, to live your life according to the way of unbelievers. A worthy walk is one that doesn't look like the rest of the world, the way that the rest of the world walks. 
you want to see some examples of that, just uh, turn the page or look over at chapter 5. Here, he, you know, he define, further defines the worthy walk by saying it's a walk of love, right? Verse 2, and walk in love. Be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ also loved us. And then in verses 3 and following, he says this, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light. You are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So we'll explain this more when we get to that, which is probably going to be in a couple of weeks or whatever. But again, here Paul is saying, look, don't walk that way. Don't walk the way the world works. Why? Because you used to be part of that world. You are no longer part of that world, right? You were once darkness, verse 8. Now you are light. Light does not walk like darkness. I mean, he's got two contrasts there. You can't get any more contrasted than light and darkness, right? It's not like uh, semi-light, you know, dimming the lights, and it's like, okay, you're almost in darkness. No, you've got, it's like noonday sun versus dead of midnight, okay? That's kind of the contrast he's making here. You were once here doing all those things, now you're over here. It would be unfitting for you to live this way because you're over here now. You're, you're the light of the Lord. Do not walk in that way. Do not imitate them. Do not engage in the practices that they engage in. When we looked at Romans in Romans 1, how does he describe the, the people who, upon whom the wrath of God is being revealed? He describes them in all kinds of vile, um, wicked behaviors. Uh, homosexuals, uh, fornicators, liars, swindlers, cheaters, stealers, all these things. Those, that's, those are the people who are under the wrath of God. Those are the people who are upon whom the wrath of God is being revealed. You remember our time through Galatians when Paul there says, you know, the works of the flesh, and then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And when he mentions the works of the flesh, he mentions pretty much everything I just read in Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 8. I mean, it's just another list of don't do these things. Do these things instead, right? It's, don't live this way. Live this way instead. There's so many other uh, places I can point to. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. You can remember that. These are all passages we've studied. But he says, look, you used to be homosexuals and liars and cheaters and, and this, that, and the other thing. But now, right, that's the way you once were. But now, you know, you have been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. You know, so in other words, it is inconsistent with the worthy walk to walk in the way that the rest of the world walks. Now, then he talks, he'll expand this more 
uh, in verses 18 and 19. We'll get to that in a second. But notice here at the end of verse 17 in the futility of their mind. That word there, futility, means devoid of truth, perverse, depraved. Depravity. It's depravity, right? Again, Romans 1, uh, Galatians 5, uh, 5, and the, the works of the flesh. You know, what we just saw in Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 7. Depravity, futility, vanity. Do not walk as they do because their thinking capacity, their minds is vain, it's futile, it doesn't know the truth, it has not been enlightened, it has not been opened, it is darkened, and we're going to see more of that in verses 18 and 19. Now, the thing we need to understand here, of course, is that Paul is not arguing for merely behavior modification, okay? He's not saying, okay, I want you to be good little boys and girls and not do these things, right? He's Because it's... How easy is it to, to get behavior modification? Not very hard, right? If you, have the, if you can structure the right incentives, you can get all kinds of people to behave a certain way, right? Much of the unbelieving world acts, in a sense, lawfully, right? They may act more morally and lawfully than a lot of Christians do. They may obey the speed limit. They may not, you know, cheat on their taxes. They may not... Uh, do all kinds of things that would be lawbreakers. We're not looking at mo uh, behavior modification because the worthy walk is not just a set of behaviors. The worthy walk is the outflow of a life that has been saved. The worthy walk is, a, is, is the fruit of sanctification. It is the fruit of one who is united to Christ. If you walk, if you just be, modify your behavior so that you don't do the things that Paul's about to mention, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven, right? Because that's what Jesus says in, 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 in the parables, right? Many are going to come to me and they say, Lord, Lord, have I not done this? Have I not done that? And, and it's like, well, okay, first of all, you're not going to get into heaven because of what you've done. All right, that's the point. You know, it doesn't matter that you've done all these good deeds. It doesn't matter that you've fed the poor, clothed the naked, uh, sheltered the, the homeless, if you're not in the Lord. That's the point. Paul, look, behavior modification is not what we're after here. What we're saying is something that flows out of our identity. It's recognizing who we are to whom we belong and then walking in a way that is consistent with that. That's sanctification. Sanctification is having our walk match our talk, if you will. <laughs> having our, our behavior match our profession. Having our uh, practice match our position. If you remember... Back in Romans 6, this is I'm calling it audible here. But I just want to focus on a couple of verses in Romans 6 because Romans 6 is essentially Paul's beginning section on sanctification. Um, and I want to look at. Let's just look at verse 11. Um, verse 11 of chapter 6, where he says there, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Uh, if you have New King James there, uh, you might have a footnote for reckon, and in, in, in the margin you might say consider. Consider, reckon. Have a mental reckoning. Part of this is to recognize, is to consider, is to reckon your new position in Christ. That is what Paul is getting at. The, the first part, the first uh, step, if you will, in sanctification is to reckon you are dead to sin. The power of sin has been broken in you. It doesn't feel like it's been very broken. It has been broken in you. Sin is not your master. That's what Paul will say here. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You are not under law, but under grace. You are, you are no longer slaves to sin. Problem is, we don't often recognize that. We don't often consider that truth, that we are not slaves to sin. I mean, there's so many sad stories of, uh, from the Civil War era where you know, the Emancipation Proclamation has been made, yet many of the slaves in the country did not know they were free yet. <laughs> That's why we celebrate or supposedly celebrate Juneteenth, right? You know, because that was when Texas finally got the news that the slaves had been liberated. And that was well after the end of the Civil War, well after the Emancipation Proclamation. Sometimes it takes that long to deliver the news that we are no longer slaves to sin. So part of the worthy walk here is this reckoning, it's this understanding that our identity in Christ is what fuels our worthy walk. So that's the principle. Do not walk according to the ways of the world. Now we're going to look at the reason in verses 18 and 19. Why should we not walk as the rest of the Gentiles? Because, again, it's inconsistent with who we are. And it reflects the way of this world. It reflects this evil age. It reflects a world that is dying. It reflects a world that is going to be unmade. It reflects a world that is going to be renewed when Christ returns. We don't want to, we're no longer part of that system anymore. We've been liberated from that system. So verses in 18 and 19, he gives the reason here. Walk uh, do not walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The reason he doesn't want you to walk this way is because look at the way the world walks. He has essentially five Adjectives here. They're darkened, they're alienated, they're ignorant, they're blind, and they're callous or without feeling. Okay? <laughs> Don't walk like that. <laughs> Don't walk that way. Don't walk as if you're darkened in your understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorant, blind, and callous. We've already seen in verse 17 at the end that the Gentiles, again, not the Gentile believers in Ephesus, but the, those who are outside of Christ, they walk in the futility of their minds. They have a darkened understanding. Again, here's that sense of dark as, as you know, probably contains both that moral element and that intellectual element. They're darkened. You know, I mean, think of trying to walk in a dark room that you're unfamiliar with. You know, you're going to be bumping into things all over the place because you just don't know. Well, metaphorically, the Gentiles, with their darkened understandings, do not understand the way the world works. It, 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 
It's a perverse way of thinking. It is an, it is a, it is an understanding that is, that is unenlightened, if you will. They're alienated from the life of God. We saw the, the concept of alienation earlier when Paul was talking about the sorry state of the Gentile believers in Ephesus. You remember in chapter 2, verse 12, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Well, same, same idea here. They're alienated. They are separated from the life of God. They have no life in them. They have no life principle in them, right? Uh, it is God who is life, and they are, in a sense, remember, they're the ones who are dead in their trespasses and sins, that Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1. So they're alienated from the life of God. So darkness, to cover with darkness, to darken, again, speaks in, uh, metaphorically of an intellectual and moral darkness. Uh, Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Uh, those who believe in me no longer walk in darkness. Um, if you remember in John 3, verses 19 through 20, he talks about how uh, those who are in the dark, don't, you know, they hate the light because the light shines on their deeds and reveals that their deeds are evil. Alienated, estranged, speaks of being isolated from the fellowship and intimacy. They are alienated from the life of God because of their sin. Think of... I just think of the culture around us. You know, it's a culture that, quite honestly, celebrates death, if you will, right? The idea of abortion, the idea of transgenderism, the idea of homosexual marriage. All these things, in a sense, promote death, right? You know, abortion literally is death because you're killing a child. Uh, transgender mutilates a person so they can no longer produce life. Uh, homosexual marriage perverts marriage so that that union cannot produce life. It's a culture of death. We live in a culture of death. And that's what people who are alienated from the life of God do. They pursue this because their understandings are darkened and they're alienated from the source of life. Their minds are futile because they're ignorant. They lack knowledge. You got the word there, agno agnoia, and you get agnostic from that. Without knowledge... They're blind. Really, literally, they're the word there means dull. Their perceptions are blunted. Uh, ESV has hardness, right? Hardness of heart. The result of the darkened mind, the alienation from God, the ignorance and hardness of heart is that they are, in a sense, past feeling. Past feeling. Uh, verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. This is what Paul will say to Timothy later. He says, they have seared their consciences, right? If you have a seared conscience, in other words, your conscience is no longer scandalized when you see uh, wicked, sinful behavior. It's just like, eh, whatever, you know, whatever. You know, it's like what Paul says at the end of Romans 1, where he says, you know, those who who uh, witness what the people in Romans 1 are doing, not only approve of it, but they are not only allowed to happen, but they give their hearty approval of it, right? It's like, yes, go for it. You know, that's the way we ought to be. That's, that's a liberated society. So they're past feeling. And think about what you have to do to get past feeling, right? You know, if you, have, if you ever, like, burned your hand and you get the callus on it, it's like, you don't, you know, you don't feel the pain as much. 
anymore. Uh, if your limb is numb or whatever, you don't feel the pain. What is pain, right? Pain is, is a warning system, like, you know, warning, Will Robinson, you're about to chop off your arm. You know, don't do that. Um, same thing with your conscience. Your conscience is a warning system. Don't do that. That violates your moral system. That, you know, that's wrong. That's wrong. If you keep ignoring that, all of a sudden it's like, you know, it becomes warning, warning, warning. You know, and then you don't hear it anymore. Just like it, it no longer, it's you've become deafened to that warning system. They are insensitive to this, and then it just produces all kinds of things, right? When you have, if you have a, a mind and a heart that is past feeling, then what do you do? You just give yourself over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. I mean, you've got all kinds of nasty things going on here. This is the man who walks according to the same. That's what Paul's saying here. Look, this is the way this world works. This is the way people in this world live, right? This is how they operate. And if there's any sense in which uh, the unbelieving world does anything that is even remotely holy or righteous or good, it is only because they're probably living on some residue of some you know, Judeo-Christian foundation that they've learned but pretty soon their consciences will sear that over and they'll just move on from that. It is, that is the reason why we are not to walk this way because that's the way the world walks. Think about the people of Israel as they were getting ready to go into the promised land and you, you get the, the, the holiness code in Leviticus, Leviticus 18, 19, 20. And in Leviticus 18, Moses you know, says, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't uncover this nakedness, don't uncover that nakedness, don't behave this way, don't behave this way. Why? Because that's what the Canaanites were doing, right? The people who live in the land that you're about to go and expel them from, that's how they behave. This is my people will be holy. Why? Because the Lord says, I am holy. And I'm a holy God, and I can only dwell in the midst of a holy people. If you violate that, then you will be cut off. You will be cut off from the covenant community. You will be expelled. You will be uh, uh, sanctioned. You will, you will be put to death. That's why the death penalty was for all of those sins that you see. Uh, the sins that you see described in Leviticus 18, the death penalty is prescribed to all of them in Leviticus 20. Paul's saying essentially the same thing here. Right? You know, in a sense, we're a pilgrim people. We're, we're in a world that is, no, is not really our home. And it's like, don't live like the people who are here. Don't live like the residents, right? Because you're not a citizen primarily of the United States. You're a citizen of heaven, right? Corinthians, uh, Philippians 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are resident aliens. We are uh, ambassadors. Do not walk as the way the people of this world walk. And that's the reason, because their walk leads to all these things. So then he gives us the contrast in verse 20. But, all right, so don't walk this way like the, the rest of the Gentiles do with their darkened understanding, their alienation from God, their ignorance that is in their hearts, the blindness, their hardness of their hearts, their, their seared consciences. Don't walk that way. And then he says of the Ephesian believers, but you have not so learned Christ. So that's the contrast. This is not how you have been taught. This is not how you have been instructed. So after giving us the principle and the reason, he moves to the contrast. 
In contrast to the futility, the darkened minds, the ignorance, the Ephesians have not so learned. They have not been informed. They have not so learned Christ. The church's marching orders and the Great Commission, our, our mission statement, if you will, our purpose, our, the, the, the reason for being for the church is to make disciples, right? That's what Christ tells his disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospel as he's got them gathered there before he ascends into heaven. He says, go into the world, go into to the ethne, the Gentiles, the nations, make disciples. That's the main verb. Make disciples. Make learners. How? By teaching them what I've commanded you. By baptizing them. By incorporating them into the church and then instructing them. This is so when Paul says, this is not how you have learned Christ, it's because Christ has commanded the church to go forth and instruct people in his ways. If you think of Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verses, uh, chapters 5 through 7. Ladies will get there eventually. <laughs> uh, probably in two months. I'm, I've committed to taking larger chunks and get, trying to get done a little faster. So anyway, when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is, in a sense, it's how life in the kingdom is supposed to be, in a way. It is, it is Jesus expounding the law and describing what kingdom citizens are to, how they are to act, what kingdom life is all about, right? It is not just a superficial, hypocritical way that the Pharisees understood the law. It is not copying the pharisaical way of religious practice. It is one that is truly dependent. It recognizes your, your poorness in spirit, your hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It recognizes that... It, if I'm to be perfect, like my Father in Heaven is to be perfect, I can't do that. I have to trust in the Lord. I have to build my house upon the rock of His salvation. So this is not how the Ephesian Christians have learned Christ. They've been taught. They've been instructed. So if you consider Paul's teaching again in Romans 6, we looked at that a little bit, you will see that because of our union with Christ... We are citizens of a new kingdom. We have been, again, liberated from our slavery to sin. We are now slaves to Christ. We are no longer dead to sin or dead in sin. We are now alive in Christ. Again, because of our union, we are citizens of a new kingdom. We are subject to a new master. This idea of being set free from sin is not as we... You know, said when we looked at Romans 6, it's not so that you can just go live whatever life you want. That, that freedom from sin is so that you can now serve a new master. That's not how you learn Christ. You have not learned Christ in order to walk this way in verses 18 and 19. So that's, that's the contrast. So what's the result? That's verses 21 through 24. So now Paul shows us the result in verses 21 through 24 as he says, if indeed you have been, uh, you have heard him and been taught by him. So you've got a kind of a half sentence there. You have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth 
is in Jesus. In other words, if you've been exposed to apostolic teaching, right? That's why, you know, in our creed, I believe it's the Apostles' Creed, uh, one holy Catholic, maybe it's the Nicene Creed, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. What is an apostolic church? It is a church that is built upon the foundational teaching of the apostles, right? It goes right back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. The church is a temple built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, right? So when you, uh, you know, when you hear, well, first of all, where is the, where is the reservoir of apostolic teaching? It's right here in the scriptures, right? The scriptures that were authored by the apostles and the prophets. <laughs> uh, so as long as you're hearing teaching that comes out of this book, you are being taught by Christ, as it were. You are being taught apostolic teaching. So if indeed you have heard and been taught by him, Christ, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. So the worthy walk that we have learned from Christ involves a putting off, a putting away, a putting aside. It involves a renewal and it involves a putting on. So maybe a kind of a weird little illustration. Farmers, you're out in the field, you're working, right? You get dirty. At least so I've been told. <laughs> what do you do before you know you come into the house, your wife says, Don't come into my house dirty. What do you gotta do? Well, you gotta take off the old clothes. You gotta renew yourself by taking a shower. Then you put on clean clothes, and then your wife will let you come into the house. <laughs> you may now enter my abode, and you may now sit in my presence, because you are now no longer in smelly old clothes, with a smelly old body. You have been renewed. You've been put on new clothes. That's, that's, the, that's the idea Paul has here. You're taking off old clothes. You're putting on new clothes, and in the middle, you're being renewed. But this is more of a spiritual kind of way of putting things. So he says, first, put off the old man. Uh, there, the word for old, we get, it's the Greek word that you get for like paleo, right? You hear paleo diets, right? It's like you're eating like a caveman. Pale, uh, paleontology, it's just literally just the study of old things. <laughs> uh, it's the old man. What, who is the old man? Well, the old man as we saw in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power. So according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. The old man walked according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. He just willingly went ahead and did that. That's the man we're to put off. Because we once walked unworthy, we have to put that off. It is no longer fitting for the one who is in Christ. Uh, similar thoughts, if you want to flip over to the right couple of books, to the book of Colossians. In Colossians, a couple of passages from Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, there Paul says, In him... Christ, again, union with Christ, 
In Christ you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So all those Old Testament passages that you see in Ezekiel and other places that talk about removing the stony heart and putting in a heart of flesh, that's what we see here. Is we're not talking a physical circumcision. We're talking a circumcision of the heart, one that is made without hands, one that is made by Christ himself. Why? Because circumcision is a, is a judgment right, right? Because you're cutting off, in a sense, a part of you so that you will not be completely cut off from your people, right? Jesus was cut off so that we would not be cut off, right? So he circumcises us with a circumcision made without hands. If you look at Colossians 3, verses 8 and 9, you see similar language that you saw in Ephesians. But now you yourselves are to put off, think of what he said in Colossians 2, 11, put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, put it out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. That old man is dead, right? He's been dead. Colossians 2 talks about how the old man is crucified on the cross. He's nailed in the cross. Put off the old man. That's the one who walked according to the way of this world. The old man is characteristic of this age. Remember, he, walked, he walks according to uh, the course of this world, Ephesians 2.2. So we are to put that guy off. That we're no longer to walk like people who are part of this current world age. We're no longer to walk uh, according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the old man is put off as our minds here are renewed by the Spirit. Uh, for the sake of time, I was going to look at uh, some passages here. I do want to look at a couple. Um, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I'm going to back up to verse 25. So Ezekiel 36, verse 25. The prophet says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. So put off the old man by the renewing of your mind, right? Going back to verse 22. Put off the old man considering your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to this, uh, the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So this idea of regeneration. This is what we're talking about. So the old man is put to death. The, the, the person is now regenerated. 
And this is not just, in a sense, only a reference to the new birth. It is, okay? But regeneration is something that is constant, in a way, throughout your entire Christian life. You're being renewed, right? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on this new man. It is characteristic of the age to come. It is, it is something that was inaugurated when Christ came and his life, death, and resurrection brings this new age forth into the current evil age. So we have this overlap. And now as that is happening, the spirit is renewing us and we are being regenerated and we're no longer walking according to the old man. We're putting that off and we're putting on now the new man, the kainon anthropon, which is part of the new creation. This is, in a sense, a restoration of the image of God, which was lost in the fall, right? That you'll be renewed according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I'm back in Ephesians 4, verse 24. That is, in a sense, the image that was lost at the fall. It is, as Paul will say in Romans, we are being conformed to the image of his Son. We are being conformed to Jesus Christ. So there you have it. That's the result. The result is that the old man is put off. The worthy walk means you put off the old man uh, by the renewing of your mind. And this is all done by the spirit, of course, renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then you put on the new man. So you start walking more consistently with your new life in Christ. So the worthy walk must be one that is distinct from the world and the old man. Again, I, I referenced the illustration of Israel, right? They're, they're not to behave in the way that the Canaanites behave. In the already not yet, though, we are going to struggle with the old man. Romans 7 is all about that. It's still struggling with this old man. You know, so imagine you're trying, if you go back to my silly illustration with the farmer, you're trying to take off your old clothes sometimes, and maybe you're, you, know, you can't pull your pants out over your shoes or something. You know, or, you know, it's like you still struggle. We still struggle with this old man because it's sort of like you, know, you corner a wounded beast. Sometimes they tell you that wounded beast is far more dangerous now that he's wounded and cornered than he was before because now he's fighting for his life. That's what the old man is in a sense doing. The old man is fighting for his life because he realizes he's dead. He is, he is, he's been crucified, but he's going to sort of in the death rows. We struggle with sin. We struggle with the old man. But we must recognize that's the point of Ephesians 1 through 3. We are no longer that person. We have been united to Christ. We've been made alive with Christ. We've been seated together with him. We've been, we are being built into a temple of the Lord. We have the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us. So we have a new identity as united to Christ. As I said earlier, I want to reiterate it. The worthy walk is not about behavior modification. We're not about, as, Ma as Jesus will say in Matthew 23, we're not about cleansing the outside of the cup, right? You know, when he's, when he's critiquing the Pharisees, he's like, look, you guys clean the outside of the cup and the dishes, yet within is all filthiness and uncleanness, right? So, yeah, the outside looks wonderful. It's like when you clean your house for guests and you take all your stuff and you shove it into your bedroom, right? So your living room looks clean. It's like, well, don't go in the bedroom. Why? Well, because. Just don't go there. That's, that's private. You know, that's, where all, that's where all my stuff is. <laughs> that's where all my dirty clothes are. You know, you know, that's the pharisaical way of doing things. It's just 
cleaning the outside of the cup. That's not what the Christian life is about. It's not making you look like good little boys and girls. It is about walking in a way that is consistent with the calling that we have. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The good news is that the worthy walk is the gospel fruit of sanctification. As the Spirit works in us, as the Spirit is sanctifying us, we are putting to death the old man. We are putting on the new man. We walk worthy as a response. So don't despair if your Christian life looks anemic. Okay? Uh, you are a work in progress, right? As, the, as Paul will say in Philippians 1 verse 6, he who began a good work in you will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. You are a work in progress. And if anything, some of this kind of like up and down in the Christian life is a result of that sanctification work being done in you. Because you're literally now recognizing you are fighting against the flesh. You're fighting against the world. This is something that you wouldn't have done beforehand because you are aligned with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Why fight with somebody with whom you're aligned to? But once you recognize that you are in this battle, yeah, it's going to be fierce. That you are a work in progress. We are all works in progress. The worthy walk is a response of the gospel fruit of sanctification. So I'm going to stop here. Uh, next Lord's Day, Lord willing, third, we're going to finish chapter four of Ephesians.